Hello and welcome to Real Professional, the podcast where real professionals have really professional conversations about the gaming industry. I'm Dread XP Rock on Tour Jan Solstrom, joined today by, and as always, Ted Hinchke. Hello everyone, it's been a while, it's good to be back. Also joined, as always, by Abby Smith, aka Scruncho. Hello, here we are. And our guest today is game developer Max Fleet. Hello, how's it going? We are back, it's been a minute but we're ready to entertain you. So DJ, drop that sick beat. So, I know that you've all been feeling very unsafe. Our last podcast went live July 1st, and it was the one we recorded with Steve Gabry way back. Oh my god, did that finally go live? I know he, like... I, I, I saw before. that on, on the Spotify's. Yes, I saw his... Steve Gabry, and I was like, shit, I kind of feel like that was a lifetime ago. Yeah, his PR people finally reached out to me months after we did it, and they are like, hey, you know, the embargo's over, you can release the Steve Gabry cut. I'm, I'm now trying to like judge time in like hair because I, I like this. I sent it to Abby. This old picture of me like popped up on Facebook from like five years ago. I look probably forty six years younger in that picture. It's true. Anyone, See, I'm bald now. So anyone that's looking to get into like running a publisher, or, like you know, doing full time like business work, it, it will age you considerably. It's like, um, have you ever seen those pictures of like Obama at the beginning and the end of his pre presidency where he's like young and fit and like doing sit-ups and surfing and then afterwards he's like gray and like, ah. like that's exactly how I feel. Are you saying on the record that you're the um, Barack Obama of games publishing? You know, I wouldn't, I, yeah, you know what? Why not? You know, I, I, I have the same vibe. We're, I'm all about hope and change. Uh, I, I also uh, smoke cigarettes behind the White House dumpster so as to avoid the press with that. Um, uh, that don't, don't let your dreams be dreams, essentially. That was my favorite Obama fact was that he like smoked, but he had to like keep it a secret because he didn't want, well, he didn't like keep it a complete secret, but he like didn't want pictures taken. So I just like, I would imagine like after signing a big deal, he's like standing out, you know, like outside the White House in the smoking section, you know, with the, like the security guards and stuff. Just be like, hey, what's up? You know, like having those cigarette conversations. Like I, I worked at casinos for years and all of the important business is done in the smoking area. Like fuck, fuck the boardrooms, all that. All the important decisions are made in the smoking area with like two dudes who work in the kitchen that you've never seen before. And the CEOs out there, too. And it's like, all right, OK. Do you, do you think that he would ever, like, go back out there and be like, hey, guys, can I bum a cigarette off anyone? Michelle won't let me buy a pack. You know, do you think that was ever the situation? No, no, no. He would pull out his own pack, and he's like, uh, if anyone asks, these are yours. Yeah, no, there, there we go. That's it. That's 100%. If Michelle comes out here, these are your cigarettes. Do you think, do you think he smokes the American spirits? Because, like, it takes, like, an hour and a half. Uh, oh, God, remember at, at PAX, whenever our smoke breaks were, like, 45 minutes because we were trying to smoke a single American spirit? Yeah, trying to choke down an American spirit between meetings. It's like, all right, did you book me an extra hour so I can have a single American spirit yellow? What, what are you guys talking about? I've, I've never had an American spirit last that long. Okay, so what? How? American spirits are just tobacco. There's no additives or anything, so they burn forever, and they're well-packed. That's exactly why they're great. I don't know. They don't last that long. American spirits are like the I'm being healthy by drinking diet soda of smoking. Mm, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah or like or no no, no. I, I would say if you switch from soda to kombucha to be healthy and you don't look at how many calories are in it and you're like oh no this is way better because it's got like herbs and shit or whatever they make kombucha out of like that is that is american spirits to the rest of the cigarette landscape um i mean smoking is terrible for you in general but uh <clears throat> yes i will go on record on the real professional podcast and say that you shouldn't be smoking. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I should not. I should not be smoking. You were correct. No, I mean, like, the people listening. I don't care if you smoke, Ted. I, I bum cigarettes off you. Keep up the good work. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, are you guys feeling unsafe? I know it's been a long time since we had a gamer safety update. I sure am. 
Max, how safe do you feel right now? You know, I'm feeling pretty safe. You're feeling safe? Okay. I'm going to make you feel slightly unsafe, but then maybe safer. Not sure. Okay. As you all know, especially Max, there's an unprecedented heat wave going on right now in Europe. Yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal. Uh, London is burning. <laughs> De- definitely burning, yeah. Reports are coming out that gaming PCs are failing left and right because they cannot handle the heat. Yeah, we just I don't think our spritz are made for this heat. Honestly, I mean, I don't live in London, but I live in a pretty hot part and I got to say it's pretty unbearable. Our like houses have just turned into ovens. How is your PC doing? I mean, I have a fan facing towards it just to keep it cool and I think it's just about surviving, especially with Unity. Which I think you you guys know is like it's just you know it's ridiculous. It sounds like Heathrow is in your living room, like planes taking off because your fans are kicking in so hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know uh, the floor's melting as well because you know Heathrow is. Uh, I think it's melting at this point actually. Yeah, the uh, the runways at the airport at Heathrow are melting. That's how hot it is. That's not even a joke. I saw that in the news earlier. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Luton. Yeah, Luton as well. One of the less popular ones. That's that. I think that's completely shut down now for the time being. It's just yeah, it's that bad here. Uh, but there are reports coming out that house fires are starting due to PCs catastrophically overheating. So my my real professional advice, safety advice to all of our listeners in the UK, which I, I think is just like Neil Bolt. Neil, turn off your PC. Not you though, Max. After the podcast, you can. But right, definitely. Right now, no, we have. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was about to turn the power off. I was about to turn the power off. We're going to put you in danger to record this, but then afterwards you can be out of danger. Ah, ah okay, brilliant. Thank you. Yep. That's the cut price you this pay is, for marketing. This is it right here. <laughs> While you're... With our, with our massive audience. Melting Risk through your floor, life. putting the thumbs up like Terminator 2. Just know that 12 people will listen to this. <laughs> um, so, Max, for the folks out there that don't know, could you give us a brief rundown of, of what a Max Fleet is? Well, a Max Fleet is a uh, a trying to be uh, indie game dev. You know, um, I made uh, my uh, my classic. Everyone knows Lights Camera Slaughter. You know, I made the demo for that. I went. I think it went pretty popular. You know, quite a few people play. I think Markiplier played it actually. The uh, the original demo, the demo of the demo. He uh, he played it, and I think he liked it. And um, yeah, I started Kickstarter a while back for um, the game because I was I was working full time then. And um, I wanted to get an incentive, you know, to to quit my job, which I finally have, thankfully, and to work on my dream game, which was this uh, 80s style, you know, slasher classic. And um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm working on it, and um, hopefully it'll be out soon, actually. So Lights, Camera, Slaughter is kind of weird. I I deal with so many games, like, so often, but that is kind of a throwback for me. That was before Dread XP that that Kickstarter was going on, and I did a lot of, like, signal boosting for it because I thought it looked really fucking cool. Because no matter how many times I see, like, that grungy PS1 aesthetic, I'm still, like, I'm interested in this because everyone does it a little bit differently. So I think I kicked in, like, 30, 40 bucks to the Kickstarter. Still waiting on my poster. It's fine, Max. It's fine. But don't worry, don't worry. They're they're in the making. Don't worry, they're <laughs> actually in the making. <laughs> I'm gonna get that framed. But yeah, it was uh one of the few things I've kickstarted that I was really excited about, and I saw it kind of pop back up on my socials. You know how socials are; they kind of ebb and flow. Things get popular, fall off, get popular. And I, I saw that you had another game coming out, and I was like, oh, I hope you didn't abandon Lights Camera Slaughter. I'll go look into this. And now you're on the podcast because you didn't abandon it. You're still working on it. You've left your oppressive office job. I actually don't know what you did for a living. Oh, uh, I was a, uh, I was, funnily enough, I was a finance assistant. The most boring job in the world, I think, as uh, anyone will know. Oh, that sounds boring. A finance assistant. Yeah, yeah, especially for a 22-year-old. That's uh, pretty boring. You know, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty life draining, I'd say, as a Brit. Isn't, isn't, isn't getting the life slowly drained out of you just an integral part of the British experience? I mean, when you're born, you have, I think you have like the littlest life in you. And then I think as soon as you join school, it just gets sucked right out of you. And you just become yeah. into, into this shriveled, sarcastic, mean person. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think that uh, it's the Brits, they're, they're, they always hide their pain with uh, biting sarcasm. 
uh, yeah, that's why they're so good at it. You know, all the all the wittiest kind of British TV shows and stuff like that that Americans love to to gobble up. It's all just pain manifest. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You're not you're not even joking. That it's it's all of our oppressive emotions. Because us Brits, we don't like sharing our emotions. We never share our emotions. And uh, that's not even a stereotype. Well, it's completely Brits true. Brits don't shower at all. So I mean, hey, I mean, I I do at least you know a couple times. Yeah, when I was I did uh, I was in Oxford and Cambridge for a little while, and it was funny because it was like it was, it was during the summer, and it would like start raining, and I'd be like, oh, how long the rain's gonna last? And they're like, I don't know, like three weeks. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, where I am, where I am in uh, England, it's it was raining today, pretty much all day, but tomorrow's gonna be nice. Probably a bit cloudy, hot and cloudy. That's our. I think our famous weather is just cloudy, too cold for a uh, too cold for a shirt, too hot for a jumper. That awkward weather. That's what we are. We're just awkward, uncomfortable people. Really, the the climate is like like Stephen Merchant is the official bird of the UK, right? Like just kind of goggly and awkward. Yeah, <laughs> I think you describe it to a T there. Honestly, it's it's horrible. I mean, these I love it because. I don't know. It's just England's just once you've once you've been here for a while, it's just it's just it's nice. But the weather, the people, and everything else in between is just a bit weird. You need to be here to find out, really. But like, I, I don't want to shit on the UK too much. I mean, I live in Oklahoma, where you know it's boiling hot, and then during the winter, if it snows half an inch, someone fifty years older than you will crash into your car because they don't know how to drive on a half inch of snow. Everywhere is terrible. Pretty much. That's the official real professional take. Everywhere is terrible. <laughs> That's even out. So you've joined you've joined the unwashed masses of uh of game developers, the gaming industry. They're very fun people. I enjoy it here. But I'm excited about Lights Camera Slaughter, but you just released just six days ago released Bughouse on Steam. Could you tell us a little bit about that? So yeah, Bughouse was kind of my first game since leaving my like like we were just talking about our oppressive job. And um, it was my first game that I really kind of like spent like days on, like as in full days, full working days on. And, you know, I learned a lot about like time management and, you know, organizing things and setting up, you know, business accounts and stuff. Everything, everything boring that people don't really expect to, you know, hear or see about. And, I, you know, it's um, it was an interesting project, really. Um, you know, it was, I, I made everything in the game I made. I, luckily, I had friend. I had my friend. Uh, make the music, uh, SB. Uh, he's probably listening to be honest. He loves you guys, and uh, he made the music for it, which I think was fantastic. Um, it really set the atmosphere. I think he did such a good job. Um, yeah, it, it was just it was such a learning experience, and especially launching a game on Steam like fully from start to finish. You know that that took a lot of learning and um, <laughs> trial and error, especially with launch days. I never realized how hard it was to launch a game on the same day. Especially with Steam's uh, really awkward kind of sending off a file, waiting like a week to hear back from it. For them just to say it's failed because, you know, a text is the wrong size or, you know, you're missing an image here. It's It was, it was definitely a learning experience. I got a lot of that um, whenever we were gearing up for the launch of Sucker for Love, where it was just like the game was functionally complete. There were a couple of art assets missing and Steam kicked it back and was like, ah, it's, it's, there's no art asset there. It just says placeholder. Yeah. It's weird that we all use the most archaic and outdated backend. Steam hasn't changed its backend since like 2005. It's awful. Really? It's awful to do anything on the Steam backend. Can I get like Abby, Ted, you guys know. Yeah, I mean, the Steam backend is is a little confusing because there's a lot of steps you have to go through and they can be very, very, very specific. Like if you put in an image and it's like one pixel off the size that they want, they'll be like, no failed review you just gotta get used to submitting your stuff early because it's gonna fail review at least two times before it passes but yeah it does feel a bit like um it's like it's like html coding because when you're setting up the steam page you have to like put in html codes to be like links and stuff like that and it's just like a lot of those functionalities other um backends have since made simpler but i don't want i don't want to shit talk steam too hard because uh, they do pay my bills so <laughs> exactly yeah but i mean it wasn't too bad like i think i was making it too doomy i was being too uk on you guys it wasn't too bad. It was just, you know, a couple of errors here and there, which to be fair, were a couple of them were my fault. But I mean, and especially with COVID as well, I suppose with people working from home, I have to give them a little bit of slack because it must be a bit awkward. 
but you know i got it out in the ends nothing too bad just a couple of uh couple of failed reports but yeah it was out there finally luckily for all you people to enjoy it's it's a legitimate skill in indie dev circles to know how to work steam's back end efficiently a lot of steam is just like learning how to use their system because a lot of the steam market is like so we being game devs and things like that we tend to look at like twitter or reddit or things like that but like we don't realize that like the amount of people that use twitter is just like a fraction of the population and a lot of people just use the direct storefront. So you need to be able to like do announcements on Steam, kind of transfer audience from one game to another, make sure that you build that ecosystem, have a community page, et cetera. And it's hard to do because Steam isn't like massively built for like a social media infrastructure. But um, overall, it's like if you know how to kind of utilize the the Steam to the maximum of your abilities, it can be it can be a great platform to promote. But you know, then again, you're also coming up against everything else coming up on Steam. So it's like, you know, is your little indie game going to be able to compete with like, you know, Stray, which just came out and made a trillion dollars? That game looks awesome, by the way. Yeah, it, it does look awesome. I'm not trying to talk shit about Stray. <laughs> I I don't understand Stray. I probably need to look into it, but I'm like, ah, this is a cat game. Okay. I think you need to see it to believe it. I don't think I'm the only one that it, it I, I mean, I, <laughs> I love cats, as you can tell. Um, you know, it, it, I think it, it's like that niche where, I don't know, just it's kind of just like that wholesome game. It's probably got some sort of dark twist. I haven't, never, I haven't played it, but, you know, it looks okay. I've seen it everywhere. Though. I know what you mean. It's everywhere. It's interesting because I'm kind of curious if this will, like, well, not curious. This is going to spawn a bunch of other games where you play as animals doing things just because it was so successful. And I'm kind of interested to see, like, what, how long that wave lasts. Because we've seen other, like animal-based games before, like Tokyo Jungle, and um, there's a number of, like, cat cafe simulators. But, like, this is the first... I wouldn't say it's the first. Like, I don't want to speak out of turn, but it's the first... I, I, I can remember, like, a double-A, triple-A game where your protagonist is a cat. So, like, just a cat, not, like, a humanoid cat or whatever. So I'm kind of curious, like, if we're going to see, like, a game come out where you play as a dog, or, like, hey, maybe it's time for that Echo the Dolphin reboot we've all been waiting for. I mean, it's funny you say that, because... I was just thinking, as you were saying, I remember, I just looked at it now, it's 2017, the first trio, I don't know if you've heard, guys heard of that, it's where you play as a fox, um, mm. it's, just, it's kind of similar, to, it reminded me just of that, where that went really popular, and then there was loads of copies, and different stories, I don't know whether, you know, they kind of bounce off one another or not. Yeah. I'm looking at it, yeah, first tree, uh, I, I never played it, but it does look like a game that, uh, would do pretty well. Looks cute. Wasn't the last Ember? Didn't she also play as a fox in the last Ember? Or last I think I've heard Ember. of that. I remember, maybe I'm remembering the game wrong. Lost Ember. Here we go. I think we're all forgetting the 1997 masterpiece, Spider, the video game, wherein you played as a spider. Oh, that's going to be it. Where you played as a cockroach. Beautiful. Beautiful times. Or Sim Ant. Where you played as a Sim Ant, the best of what? the Sim games. You ever played Sim Ant? I've never played that before. That sounds oh, amazing. Yeah. Basically, it was a game where you play as a as a black ant, and you got to create this colony of ants. You have to fight red ants, and then like one of the final bosses is a spider. And then like if they're mowing the lawn, you have to like head underground so that you don't get chopped up in the lawnmower blades. That was really <laughs> fun. I think that's. I think I'll, I'll probably play it tonight. To be honest, I'll probably be up to about four in the morning playing that now. That sounds amazing. Oh yeah. I think you can get it for free because it's like abandoned where it was like from 19, I want to say early 90s. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, back when Sim games were fun and they were like, ah, oh, Sim City, and then they made The Sims and now they just do The Sims forever. But back then, you know, they used to do shit like Sim Ant. <laughs> <laughs> I think they had more creativity back then. I was going to say, I do think that uh, back to Spider the video game, which is now what this podcast is about completely. Um, you play as a cybernetic spider with the mind of its creator implanted in it. And I think that's where games are going. We implant the minds of scientists inside animals. Is that the twist of, of uh, Stray? Can we guess? I, I think, I think so. Kind of stray. I don't know. I feel like there's some sort of dark twist. I mean, like I said, I haven't played it. But just by looking, I'm, I'm guessing it's some sort of dark twist. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's all a dream and it's just a kid, like, you know. In the modern day. The cat's like wanted for embezzlement. <laughs> Tax fraud, yeah. Something like that. 
It's like, oh man, the dark twist of the game is that the cat did crimes. Like black and white footage of it, like, in a born to kill, like, helmet in the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe it's like the CCTV footage of just him, I don't know, robbing a shop or something. Something horrible. And you just feel dirty afterwards because you're like, I was, you know, I was, I was looking out for this guy and now he's like a bank robber. What's going on? You you just feel you just find out that the little pack that he's carrying is just like an industrial amount of methamphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! What have I been doing? Yeah, things really took a turn halfway through the game where there's that mission that you sell meth to school children. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's gotta be it. Go to a school, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's gotta be it, Jens. I think I think you've cracked the case right here now. I don't think anyone else needs to play it now. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about it now, and I think we need to make our own version of Stray. Yeah, what what we call it though? Um, crack cat. Crack the death. Cocaine, crack cat. Cocaine kitties. Cocaine. Alright, that's it. That's the that's the DLC. That you have to make DLC. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have the cat gang wars. That'd be cool. Yeah, that's yeah. that's it. Right, so we'll make that. Yeah, I think we should probably stop fantasizing about uh, cat games and get back into the task at hand, which is shitting on the British. That's it. Yeah, I love, I love hearing it, guys. Come on. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious, though, because, um, you know, you're making these games that are kind of in the style of these 80s slasher movies, right? Right, that's it. And, and you know, it's interesting because the UK kind of has this interesting history, especially in that time period of, like, the video nasty era, you know, where basically all these films were banned and you couldn't find them and they were so scandalous you could get your whole hands on the hold of some 80s shitty slasher film that, you know, like... It's just like you look at it now and you're like, the fuck? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, whatever. Like, but back then they were genuinely worried that it would corrupt the the moral fabric of their society, you know? Yeah. I mean, that sounds about right. I mean, yeah, like they were really touchy, I think, about it, especially like, you know, I think it was like the Commonwealth, so Australia, New Zealand, you know, any places like that. They were really strict on it. Yeah. I remember like they would ban everything. Obviously, I wasn't alive in the 80s, which is probably a funny fact. But um, yeah, I, I do know lots of films were banned. And then, like you said, you look at the back of them now, and they were just awful. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing that's funny, too, because it's like the fact that anyone like would like be fundamentally changed by the contents of like Bikini Car Wash Massacre 2, you know? Like, oh shit, this is this is what's gonna be setting me down a dark path for the rest of my time life is bikini car wash massacre two, and not like, you know, the the general education system or the upbringing that, you know, I mean, I'm not gonna get too much into politics or anything here, but like, you know, I it's like I'm usually high when I watch those movies. You know, it's like I don't I don't it's like it doesn't like stick in my brain. I don't like go out and like do power drill massacres, you know? Yeah. I mean you just you just gotta just read the title of the movie, and if it says something like "Bikini Car Wash Massacre," you just you have to take it with a grain of salt. You know, don't take it too seriously. I I, I kind of love the the straightforwardness of those old movie titles. You know, something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You're like, all right, I I know what I'm getting here. You know? Yeah, you're in Texas. There's a chainsaw, and there is a massacre. You you have that expectation as soon as you go into the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's like fucking uh, modern movie titles. It's like you can't know what the movie's about, right? Like, and don't get me wrong, I love Jordan Peele, but like, does anyone know what Gone is about? Like, that hasn't read the synopsis? Like, what's Gone about? Or no, sorry, not Gone, Nope. What's it about? Nope, yeah. Uh, a cloud. That's, I've only seen the poster. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, honestly, he's a great director. So, I mean, you know, we're, I'm going to go see the movie. You know, it's like, um, but even like Us or Get Out, it's like a Get Out, I guess, is a little bit more... Uh, straightforward but like us is like what's this movie about and yeah so yeah well then you end up with situations like i had last week whenever i sat down to watch hollywood meet cleaver massacre and it did not have any of those things it's the twist that's what it is it's a twist on the uh the original concept so it was um from i want to say 76 so or 77, which means it was slightly after Texas Chainsaw. So I'm thinking they were trying to kind of ride that wave. But the movie is like a proto-Pumpkinhead, where these these youths kill a, or beat up a professor into a coma, and then he summons a vengeful spirit to hunt them down. Oh, the Meat Cleaver cool. movie? 
yeah, yeah, Hollywood Meat Cleaver Massacre, which has not Hollywood, not a meat cleaver, not a massacre. I mean, to be fair, people die. Right, but there's, like, not a massacre. Like, maybe three people die in that whole movie. What what constitutes a massacre? Well, if you uh, listen to the old song, uh, Alice's Restaurant, you know, that, anyway, sorry, Abby, what were you going to say? You know, I was just about to say, you never know these days. Um, there seems to be a lot of massacring going on. Very sad. The original name of Alice's Restaurant is the Alice's Restaurant man- Massacre, by the way. So, but yes, there are real massacres that we could point to if we want to, you know, go dark, Abby. If we if we want to bring down this podcast, I mean, yeah. we we've hit dark times since the last podcast. All right, like let's let's be let's be frank here. But I but I like Real Professional to be a beacon of positivity in a world gone mad. As we just Britain. started, yeah. As except for for Britain, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Except for all of our British folks out there, yeah. We're not trying to be a, a beacon of light for you guys. They're out there living 2000 AD. Yeah, sad of the bets, or I say, the so, Judge Dread reference. So, looking at the stuff that you make, Max, um, how? And this is going to be a comparison. You're going to get a lot, but how inspired are you by a uh, puppet combo? I mean, if you're being brutally honest, you know, that was, if you want to, do you want me to get into how I actually, like, got into, like, the, the style and the, into making games, or? Absolutely. Well, it's really funny you say that, because I've always been interested in making games, not horror games, but just, like, stupid games. Like, my first game I wanted to make was this game where you were this, it was like a multiplayer game, like a co-op, and you would be these two people shopping, and it'd be like this co-op trying to get the, the shopping in whilst there's other people getting the shopping. It's stupid. And then I watched this guy, this British YouTuber, called uh, CJU Games, and he played Power Drill Massacre. And that, that game scared the absolute shit out of me when I played I, I jumped out of my skin when I saw the jump scare, and I thought, I, I, need, to, I need this. I need to make this. Because it, it hit that PlayStation 1, the 80s VHS kind of like scary style. And that just like screaming, the loud noise, it just got me. It, it, it kind of like sold me, like, I need to make this game. So I kind of researched into like the PlayStation 1, the limitations, the low poly, the lighting, everything to make it in just like, you know, a couple of years. And I started like messing around. And that's when I came up with the idea of Lights, Camera, Slaughter. And that's when I tried to, thought, you know, I'm going to make my my first, I, I don't know what to call it, PlayStation 1 80 slasher. And I'd say, I'd say Puppet Combo is a pretty big influence, but I try my best not to directly copy him, you know, because there's a lot of copycats. And I think if you want to succeed, you need to kind of obviously get from the original source, so Puppet Combo, but you need to change it, get your own twist, kind of like Chiller's art, I suppose, because he did um, was it Akamonto. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you know, that, that, yeah. I played that the other day, actually. It was terrifying. But, you know, and then he kind of went to you know, the, uh, the the convenience store and then he went to like the other the other types of games and stuff, you know. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find my own style, you know. Yeah, I think that it's perfectly valid to do games in that style. It's become its own thing kind of separate from Puppet Combo at this point. Definitely. Yeah, it's... I think he kind of like created this genre almost. Like, it's, it's it was kind of like... I don't know. I don't know what to call it. It's kind of like a throwback. It's just like these really... kind. Of, it's just retro. It's so retro, and it's just like obviously people who grew up with those kind of films, the PlayStation. It kind of hits home as well because I I played PlayStation. I played Silent Hill when it on the PlayStation originally, back when I was like nine. <laughs> so young when I played it, it terrified me. A lot of a lot of the reason for that is just kind of the expansion of like the indie marketplace, right? Because it used to be the, the fact is that like you kind of chase the graphics because that was what the most recent kind of console could do. And so you'd have to make games for that console. You'd have to get it approved by, you know, whatever the, the platform holder is. And then, you know, PC gaming was a thing, but it was always kind of like a race to kind of be the next kind of big, big, big guy on the block. And um, really, you know, just in the last 10 years, we've kind of created this infrastructure for indie games that allow people to be like, well, maybe I want to make a game in this old style. And like, keep in mind, the idea of a demake is nothing new. I mean, Bionic Commando, when it came out, and this is what, 2013? had Bionic Commando rearmed, which was like an old school version of Bionic Commando. And then uh, when Bloodstained Ritual of the Night came out, they came out with like a prequel game that was like old school Castlevania. So 
I think that it's interesting because, you know, we, we, we're at this intersection now where certain gamers are old enough now to prefer those old styles of games, right? Like, <clears throat> obviously, as the, the audience ages up, there's going to be new audience members, but like, gaming has grown over time by a lot, the number of, of players. And so you have people that are like, I remember those days of Spyro the Dragon or, you know, Alone in the Dark or uh, Resident Evil, you know, those old school days. And they're, they're longing for that. And what I find to be actually the most interesting is what kind of crossover those old styles of games have with new mechanics. Because like, as much as those older fans exist, it's like kind of a diminishing audience just naturally because... Like, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't have as many, much time to play video games as I did when I was 14. And um, so they can only buy, you know, the, the paradox of increased disposable income, minimal time to play games. So it's like, you know, what are, what are they going to buy? What are they going to be focused on? Um, but what I think is really interesting with these, these kind of PSX style games is the younger audience that's into it. Like the people that are like, oh, I enjoy this aesthetic for whatever reason, not because I grew up with it, because I just like it. And that's a kind of an interesting crossroads that we're at now in, in game design, where it's like, you know, is, I, I don't know if, you know, uh, I, I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, but like a lot of the budget for a AAA game goes into the polish. Like, it, it, like the more polished and more graphically intense game is, there's a diminishing returns on the dollar spent. Like, you know, the difference between a game that looks as good as the newest Call of Duty and a game that looks like slightly worse, you know, is a difference of like, you know, let's say Call of Duty costs 50 million to make. And this other game that looks slightly worse costs 5 million to make that 45 million is going to like 10% graphical improvement, right? Like there's, there's just so much that goes into getting something that polished. And um, the fact that there might now be viable alternatives to that level of polish, I think is a very exciting time for games. Yeah, definitely. Especially for indie games, you know, because a lot of people don't have that that time or money to make those polish games. And sometimes as well, I don't know, I, I try my best to make these realistic looking games as you can. And they end up just looking like awful. Like when you when you try and you haven't got the time or the money, they're just, just looking kind of just a bit weird. You know, when you try and make yeah. it look realistic and it, it's kind of that uncanny valley, like it's not looking good kind of thing, kind of messy. Yeah. I mean, the amount of time it takes for them to program the enemy movement and reaction and like how everyone moves in like something like The Last of Us is so intensive, you know? Yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, but when you reach that level of overall visual fidelity, it's like you're kind of in the spot where you're like, well, if I don't have enemies, then when I shoot them, like we'll keel over for a moment before they die and then writhe on the ground for a little while and like have this like death animations, like it looks weird, right? And exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you need to like raise things to this generalized standards of graphical quality, which is like what I think a lot of indie people kind of struggle with is like, well, I can get the environments looking good, but what about the monster designer? I can get the monsters looking good, but what about my hands, the damn hands, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I mean. You need to once you complete one thing and it looks good, then you realize that looks out of place, or you know, like you said, the enemy looks out of place, or anything. It's kind of it throws you off and it throws the player off as well, especially when I play some games. It just throws you off and you think, like, you know, that's weird. And then it pulls you out of the game and then it ruins the experience almost. Not all the time, but it can kind of pull you out for a second. And, you know, it ruins the immersion. But also we've, we've reached this place where, or at least I have anyway, if the game can look as good as it wants, if it's not fun, it's just not fun. Um, and I think the old stuff, I think we're seeing such a, a resurgence in that because what worked back then still works. I mean, look at Infernax. I mean, it didn't it wasn't like a world beater or anything, but it was still a really solid old school style game. And it was something that didn't require a huge time commitment. You know, Elden Ring's cool and it looks good, but you know, it's like hundred and fifty hours. Sometimes people just want to get, you know, a short scare. You grab a small horror game. And I think that as we move forward, it's going to be a focus on episodic or at least smaller experiences. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Jans. Um, you know, I, other than just like the uh, the ease of, of being able to make uh, like a game and like lower lower quality as far as graphics go, I think that it's it's like a lot of people who are now new to making games, it's it's easier for them. It's easier for them to get into. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but remember remember the hype around graphics like so, some years ago where, 
you know, if a game looked good, everybody wanted to buy it. And then everybody realized that they were bored. Um, and so we're coming back around to, you know, accepting all kinds of, of games and the way that they look. And I think that a lot more like unique ideas are coming out in these, uh, you know, these styles that are not necessarily like easy on the eye or um, nice to look at from a distance. I I think that you just have to look at the success of Cruelty Squad to see where things are going, and it's a nightmarish hell world. No, I I personally think that Cruelty Squad is far too ugly for me to play, but I understand why people enjoy it. Definitely, yeah. I think I uh, I watched uh, Parasynical play it and um <laughs> i watched it i had no idea what was going on i thought i was having a stroke for the first five minutes but then i kind of got into it and i was yeah like you embrace it and you think you know what this is like its own art style and then yeah and the oh go ahead no no sorry that was it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's its own art style oh okay i was just gonna say that the systems though once you get into cruelty squad are so deep and satisfying that the overall like visual aesthetic isn't the biggest part of that game. It's what draws people in. Like you see that and you go, no way this is worth a shit like at all. And then you actually play it and the systems there are just so well thought out. And it goes back to what I've said for years and years and years and years. I don't care what a game looks like for the most part. I care what a game plays like, you know, you can have like, look at, um, Look at, like, Noida. You guys ever played Noida, the the Finnish witch simulator? I did, yes. Yeah, very simple. But the game, the backbone of the game is, like, the physics system, the particle system that's in it. Um, it has nothing to do with the visuals. The visuals are pretty plain. Um, but damn, that game is fun. And I think with the, the PS1-style games and the, like, like, Lights, Camera, Slaughter, what drew me to that was not really the visual aesthetic, it was first, I think whenever we first talked about it, Max, I talked about the uh, the sound design being on point whenever I played the demo. I'm glad you think so, yeah. Thank you. And, yeah, and then from there, uh, I think my next question was, like, does it have combat? Because that's a big thing for me nowadays, because it's very easy to make horror without combat. And it, it's almost, if I have to hide in one more goddamn locker. <laughs> yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the thing, you know. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm still like you know making the systems for like you know combat inventory and stuff. Never asked, stuff I've never had to make before, and you know definitely combat is you know it's it's going to be there. You know stuff even if it's just you know it's just just to startle the enemy or you know just to do something. But I definitely want it because that's what survival horror is all about. You know like I mean you go back to like Resident Evil, Silent Hill, the originals. You know even if you just stun them for a little bit, you know it's still combat and it's still intense. You know. Yeah, I'm in this weird place where I'm like, oh, no combat, hide-and-seek horror is a crutch. But then I look at it, you know, from another angle, it's actually more of a handicap because you have to get players with less interactivity. You know, you have to present something truly scary to keep them hooked on something that, you know, is mostly puzzle-based or exploration-based. Which means there's a lot of, you know, notes to pick up, a lot of things to read, a lot of puzzles to do. You could go, you know, the route where it's just real combat heavy. You don't really have to worry about that stuff. So it's two sides of the same coin. It's just, it's hard. It seems like these days it's hard to do hide-and-seek horror well because there's so much of it. Yeah. It's hard to do hide-and-seek horror well because it's deceptively difficult to design. Like, you, you'd think that, you know, oh, I just put this cabinet here, but the question is, okay, what's the monster's patrol path? Is there a cool other way around it? Is there a way that you're going to be able to see the monster before it gets to you? Like, how are you going to introduce those those sight lines? How are you going to, you know, where where is the player going to crouch as this character comes around? There's so much that actually goes into, like, making a hide-and-seek section that, like, people, like, it, it's not just putting a closet in so someone can hide while the monster comes in and out of the room. You know? Yes, that's the problem. And I don't want to hurt my arm tooting Dread XP's horn too much here, but I've seen it done well, and it's called Mirror Forge. Yeah, Mirror Forge is good. That's one of our upcoming games. Sorry not to steal the thunder of your podcast, but... Uh, uh, no, I'm just <laughs> thinking of an example of a game without combat, with puzzles and such, that presents a compelling narrative and a well-fleshed-out world, 
and isn't just, you know, we put a locker in this room. Even Resident Evil is guilty of it. Uh, Resident Evil 8 has that section that's like, hide under the bed till the giant baby goes by, and then you can run. And it, it, it comes off as lazy. Yeah. But whenever done right, it's very impressive. Yeah, I, I think that also, too, we need to consider, like, the games that are not, like, hide-and-seek, but more, like, kind of a linear narrative experience with scares. Like, think that just because your game doesn't have combat doesn't mean it's, it's like, a hide-and-seek horror game. Like, um... No. Abby, you and uh, uh, you worked on our, our Cadletro for the, the second Dread X collection, and that doesn't have any hiding mechanics, but, like, it's all about the pacing of the scares, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I, I just think that, um... And that's another reason why I really like the PSX style, to be honest, is because like I think that people get to experiment a lot with what does and doesn't work because it's mm-hmm. it's easier to develop it, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I was saying before is like more people are able to get into making games because they're not constantly nailed and, and grilled about not having a certain like graphical fidelity. You know, uh, it, it's it's very interesting. And I think that I think that that's awesome. Because there's a lot of people who have really cool or wacky ideas that don't really know how to bring them to life. And I think that because of this, we're we're getting we're we're able to see more of of these ideas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's as well like I like to you know, I like watching movies and I also wanted to be a director originally, like, you know, when I was younger. So I almost put that kind of director brain set into making like movies into horror games. So I think, you know, what's the, what do I want the player to feel right now? You know, what's the ambience? What's the sound design? Because I always say to my friends and anyone who plays my games, I always think sound is like 50% of the game. You need to have good sound design to, you know, make a good horror game. I mean, it's like, like I said, I don't want to toot my own horn, but everyone says in like Bughouse, the sound design is like amazing. And um, I tried my hardest to get, you know, the right sounds, the right scares, the right music. And I think it kind of just sells the game, really. You know, it's kind of that, that part of the package of the scares. I completely agree. I say that every time. If there's two things in a game that will always work, that will always make it scary, it's good sound design and it's having background spooks. Like, those two things, if you do them the right way, you have yourself a scary game. Uh, it's those two things, they get me every time. And I am very desensitized to horror at this point. I am. I just got my my bug house key. I've downloaded it. I'm super excited to check it out this evening. Um, what what should I expect, Max? Expect a lot of scares. Uh, will I sh- will I shit? I I I mean, you might. You might, I really hope you do. I really hope you shit because you know people said it's terrifying. You know, it's a short, terrifying scare. I, I've gotten a lot of compliments from people, especially in like the Steam reviews. Nice. You know, I think I think it's like ninety percent positive. Everyone says the sound design is, you know, it's, it's fucking scary. You know, but I mean, I, that's 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 them saying. It. That's not me. That's that's them saying it. <laughs> so I saw that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. That in between, you know, now and Lights, Camera, Slaughter, you said you had, I think, three smaller games lined up. Um, I've got. I was working on like a almost like a, a, t- a prototype. It's not really a game. It's more like a, do people like the style? Just to kind of gauge a little bit, because um, you know, I'm working on like my my own style, my own kind of I don't know what to call it kind of design. Um, but I would say the small one I'm working. I think I've recently spaced it out. Actually, I think it was today. I'm not, I can't remember. But um, it was like a third person one. And I was working on like third person, and then you can transfer to first person. Um, but you know, I had one game that was gonna. I was working on for a while beforehand. It's um, you know, it's a pizza delivery game where it was inspired by like you know those like early like um, ah, oh, what's he called? The spooky nightmares. The guy who reads the stories out of like, the top three scary chills. That's it. The top three scary like pizza delivery stories. Number um, us. <laughs> That's, he's got it. He's got it. But um, yeah, I've, but I, that might be that might go after Lights Camera Source there. It really depends because you know I'm I'm working hard to get Lights Camera Source out. You know I you know I haven't I've only got a limited amount of money and time. You know as you know I have yeah. no income coming in. You know this is my this is my job now. It's self-employed. You know so I've what's, got a, what's the rate at which you're putting out games right now? Like what is, what does your workflow look like at the moment? Well, at the moment, I gave uh, I brought Bug House, which took I can't remember. I think it was I think it was about three weeks to make. You know, from every day, three weeks, you know, start to finish. 
Um, you know, I'm hoping to get out once a month, maybe just like smaller games. But you know, when it comes to Bughouse, I wanna. I want to make it till it's done. You know, I want to get everything right. Cause it was, it's my, I, all my, I say to all my friends and family, it's my debut. You know, it's the big game that I want to release on Steam. You know, the one that's going to be a bit heftier, longer, more features, you know, hopefully more people playing it. You know, I, I'm hoping, I haven't really got a time estimate really for it because I'm still, you know, still in the works. But I'd say, yeah, for smaller games, once uh, once two months, for long games, maybe two to three. I'm trying to get it out as quickly as I can while still learning. You know all the ins and outs of Unity programming. You know everything in between. Really, it's it's difficult to say. Honestly, I think this is a great way to do it. I mean, like so often people are afraid to make that jump to a paid game, like something that you're actually putting out on Steam. But like at the end of the day, <clears throat> like you have to be able to pay your bills, and you have to know like what your audience is actually going to be. Because like on Itch, you can put out a game for free, and you'll get like a bunch of people to play it, and then you try to transfer it over to a paid game. It's like no one plays it. It's like, well, what the fuck happened, right? Yeah, and, um, but with something like like you know, I, and I think that the way that you're going about it is good because like learning through experience is the best teacher for sure. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's what that's that's exactly. You just described what I did with Bug House. Originally, I had the idea ages ago, absolutely ages ago. I wrote down in my notebook. I have this massive notebook of ideas, stories, what I want in games, and I had I wrote it down ages ago. And I went back to it and I thought, yeah, I could make that. I could make that pretty soon. You know, for my first game. And um, originally, before before the end of my job, it was going to be just this free game that people could get. But then I thought, you know, I need to actually make money. <laughs> I can't just make free games for my life. So I thought, you know, I need to actually get money for this. And I sent it off to a couple of reviewers and I said, what would you pay for this? And they came up to that kind of like three to four dollar mark. I said, you know, I don't think people would pay that because I think that would be a bit too much. So I said two dollars. You know, it's my first game. If people don't like it. You know, they can always refund it. You know, it's only $2. It's not too much. And I thought it wasn't really like, as us Brits would say, taking the piss a little bit, you know, because I don't want to charge someone $5 for a game, you know, that only lasts like an hour. You know, I, I think I kind of cheated them a little bit, you know. But um, I think a lot of people said as well, it was, it was worth the money just for the scares, you know, because it's got some pretty good scares in it. I think, Jan, I, I, think you're in a, I think you're in for a bit of a, a, bit of a shock. Yeah, I'm excited to check it out. And I, I think, and I've, I've said this to a lot of indie devs that I've talked to um, since back whenever I was doing Horror You Haven't Played, whenever they're like, oh, I, I, I'm not comfortable charging for what I make. You should always be comfortable. Like, if you're making the art, you're putting it out there in the world, I think it's fine. You should charge for the work that you do because it is work. Like you said, every day, three weeks working, developing, writing, sound. It's 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 a bunch of effort, and I think there's this weird idea uh, in indie game circles that it's somehow selling out or it's somehow wrong to make money for the games you make, which is such a weird stance that I see pop up. And I think that if you're if you're doing it as your job and you're making games as your job, you should get paid for your work. Hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, <clears throat> I think that a lot of times people feel more comfortable in the free space because there's less. There's like inherently less of a burden, like it's, there's less pressure, and that's fine. Some people just want to develop games in a low-pressure environment, which is good. But I don't think that anyone should hold it against anyone if they decide to like, hey, I want to make money on this thing that like took me like, you know, months to years of my life to make, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had that that thought exactly as you said, you know, that burden. I because I, I wanted, I didn't think about putting it out for, on Steam for you know for actual money because I thought, well, if people don't like it, I'm taking their money. You know, I. I didn't feel comfortable at the start, but then I, I thought to myself, you know, I'm sp- I'm spending like all day on this, you know, like people uh, people have got to pay me for this because <laughs> I'm not doing this for free because I was getting up at like nine in the morning. I was getting to bed at like two, two, two a.m. I'm not even joking as well. I know a lot of people probably say that, but I was up all day, all night. And the thing is as well, is I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything because it's so amazing. And I'm so privileged to have that opportunity because I, I had the job beforehand. And I oh, saved yeah. up my money. You know, it's it's awesome. And uh, I want it to last forever. <laughs> so I was like, no, I'm putting it up for Steam. People are going to buy it. And, you know, people people are, people are love it. So I'm really happy. And I'm, I'm really happy for my first game as well. First proper, proper release. And so last time we were talking, before I wrap up everything, because we're coming up on the end of our hour, but I will ask you, uh, last time we talked, you were talking about uh, your publisher situation. Any any updates on that? Um, yeah, that, that fell through. I think I forgot to tell you. I was gonna. I think I was gonna talk to you about that. Yeah, it fell through, um, but it wasn't with anyone you know. Uh, I'm, you're probably thinking of. It's not nothing. Nothing with them or anything. It was a kind of a 
unknown unknown ones. So that was kind of lucky, I suppose. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, that fell through. So I'm unpublished for Lights, Camera, Slaughter because I think that would probably be the best because it would take longer to develop. Um, it'd give me that kind of boost, you know, to make it and um, hopefully support it a lot. So um, yeah, I'm kind right. of a publisher virgin, I suppose you could say. Like, I don't make these calls, but maybe it's something that we could talk about after the podcast, Ted. I'm <laughs> <laughs> down to talk about, you know, cool upcoming indie, you know, creators. I'm always, I'm always on the lookout for, you know, which, who's got the coolest shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I will say, looking at Lights, Camera, Slaughter, you're going to want to change. And I'm saying this on the podcast because we have game devs listening. Uh, your first screenshot just says just Roddy Studios. You're going to want to change that to a gameplay shot because uh, when people hover over your game in uh, Steam, the first four images they see are going to be the first, like when it kind of does their preview, is going to be the first four in that selection there. So you always want to load them with like blood, action shots, whatever is the best screenshots you have of the action of the game. There's too there's too much text on this and it makes it hard to read. So if you want to, if, and I, I guarantee you, if you make these changes and then go back and look at your wishlist numbers, you'll see that they've, they've gone up a little. Oh yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I am... Um... I, that that was a while back when I did that bughouse. I t- I took that into account. Don't worry. Yeah, I looked up a lot of uh, advice for that. So, yeah, that's that's great advice for anyone. Really, just kind of get the action shots, like you said, for the first couple. You know, because it really draws that attention in for people to click on. You know, get get that click through rate, get the wish list, because that is the most important part. Really, is wish list before sale. Yeah, I mean, wish wish list accrual is important, but a lot of the is just about like how you kind of format your Steam page. Which is why I said like when you know the Steam backend, it's mostly about kind of how Steam works, the ins and outs, and those little tricks that people aren't going to tell you, so. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Yeah, I definitely have to learn the hard way, you know. <laughs> well, we are we are coming up on the end of our hour, but I did want to ask you about that, just so I can slyly go to Ted and be like, hear the pitch, hear the pitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely, yeah. That was kind of good timing, really. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I do at the company um, outside of social media. I just, I find things. And I'm like, Ted, you listen to this pitch. <laughs> I just throw it at him and I just leave. I mean, it sounds like a good job. I'm kind of passing it on to him. Let him do the work. Let him do the heavy lifting. Yeah. And you just sit there and look pretty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I show up for like the pitch meetings and they're like, oh, we want to do this and this. I'm like, that sounds cool. And then Ted does all like the the lawyer shit and the money shit and i'm just like your game is cool i'm just there as like the hype man for everyone I'm like your game is cool this company is cool we're all cool, I'm super cool. so really i contribute nothing <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Ted, i'm proud of you keep good i'm doing my best i'm gonna keep on going as long as i keep being able to do it so keep on trucking man but we're up at the end of our hour so Max, where can we find you on the internet at large? You can find me at Twitter, at Disrate Studios. Um, or you can find me on YouTube if you want to watch my uh, trailers or just gameplay at uh, Disrate Studios. You know, uh, find, me, find me anywhere. I love Itch as well, but I'm mainly on, uh, on Twitter. Do, do you have a TikTok? I do. And funnily enough as well, I was just, uh, I was just saying to my girlfriend earlier about um, starting to upload more TikToks. I've got a couple on there. Of bug house, but nothing crazy. I definitely start using it. Well, it's uh, I know that our editor Vince will kick my ass to death if I go on a tangent about TikTok. But um, shoot me a message on Discord after the podcast. Uh, I will. I'd be happy to give you some TikTok pointers because we have a pretty strong TikTok presence. I really appreciate. It. Thank you very much. Thanks for the advice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ted, where can we find you on the internet at uh, large? At Dread Henschke, or I never tweet, though, so you can just find me on Discord, on our company Discord. Yeah, everybody, come hang out on the Dread XP Discord. We have movie nights. It's a pop in time. Yeah, sometimes Abby shows up. Sometimes she graces us with her presence. Oh, Abby, Abby will show up and say hello, ask what we're doing, and then deafen herself for two hours before disconnecting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't want to put her on the spot like that, but yeah, that's exactly what that's happened. She's like, What are you guys doing? And we're like, We're oh, we're watching some shitty movie from twenty fourteen and she's like, Dope. That's only happened sometimes. That happened like two times. Whatever. She's like, Oh, that sounds so cool, guys. Mute. Oh Deafen. my god. Abby, where can we find you on the internet at large? Oh, you guys wanna find me on the internet? <laughs> Someone has to figure out where you are whenever you're deafened and muted during movie night. 
Oh my god. I am on Instagram uh, at speakeasy at scrunchow.speakeasy actually and I'm on Twitter at scrunchow underscore speak. I'm also on TikTok at speakeasy and you can also find me on the company Discord under scrunchow. Abby, don't you have more music coming out soon? Um, I just released a single last Friday. Yeah, promote yourself. Promote yourself. There it is. That was the promotion. I uh, got a What's new it single. called? Where it's, can people find it's it? Called, uh, <laughs> it? It's called... Well, you can find it on every major music platform, but it's called Love Me Wild, Love Me Crazy. And uh, it's the last single I'll be doing before I'm going to start working on another EP. So, bam. There it is. Yeah, go listen to, to Scrunch's music. <laughs> Uh, DreadXP, you can find us at DreadXP underscore on Twitter or at DreadXP Games. You can find us on TikTok at DreadXP Games, Instagram at DreadXP Games, Facebook DreadXP. Um, soon coming to all the Chinese social media outlets near you. That's, that's the next spoilers. That's my next, uh, my next goal is to be on Chinese social media because we are, the localization for Sucker for Love is out now. Ted? Yes, the Chinese localization dropped today. Chinese localization for Sucker for Love dropped today, um, July 20th. So if you speak Chinese or would have a better time with the Chinese localization, that is now available. It was highly requested, and we've done that for you. Very excited. It's good to be back doing the podcast. I was listening to them on my way back from my trip today, and I was like, oh, yeah, super excited to get back in there and talk about video games, and have on Max. Max, have you been on a podcast before? This is my first time. Oh! And I'm, uh, I'm very happy, so you've taken that away from me, so thank you very much. Well, glad that we could be your first podcast, man. That's good. Yeah, Abby was telling me, talking to me earlier, and she's like, we have a podcast lately, that's weird. I'm like, why is it weird? She's like, it's been like a year and a half since we did one. Well, just that you got the best developer to, you know, kick off. Kick to off be fair, it's, it's, been, it's been like two months, Abby. Um... Well, to yeah, be fair, I, I didn't say a year and a half. Ted just likes to make things up about, uh, you know, he, he does this all the time. He's a professional shit maker upper when it comes <laughs> to, to what I say. <laughs> we had we had Steve Gabry this month. I mean, we recorded it last uh, November, but we had it go up live this month. <laughs> I know, right? It's like been fucking forever. <laughs> Good Lord, it feels like a long time ago. God, I'm old. You guys should go listen to that podcast because we're like, oh man, we're so excited. Sucker for Love's coming out soon. But Max, thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, our return podcast will be back next week with someone. I have a lot of people in the pipe that want to come on the podcast. Let's probably have one of them on. Uh, but Max Fleet, play us out. <laughs> Jet XP. <laughs> was, was that the start of uh, Darude's Sandstorm? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>